from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Let, let's just do cold hard facts. Philip Mudd, an intelligence and national security expert who's done time at the CIA, the White House, and the FBI, joins us to digest his view on the Mueller report and what the intelligence says about the U.S. and dealing with Russia. An economy that is a Russian economy that's not great, a political leader that is Vladimir Putin, who's reviled around the world, except in places like Venezuela and Syria. If you look at a political structure in Russia that is half of a dictatorship, if you look at a military that is dwarfed by the American military, if you want to say we ought to step back and be afraid of the Russians because they have an expanded presence in America, look, the FBI can work on that, the CIA, the NSA, they've been doing that since you know Moses was knee-high to a grasshopper. If we want to worry about a third-rate military and economic power and pretend like they are on par with America, have at it, that's not something I would lose sleep over. Philip Mudd analyzes the U.S. and Russia after the Mueller report. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Philip Mudd joined the FBI in 2005 when then-FBI Director Robert Mueller appointed him to be the first-ever Deputy Director of the National Security Branch. This appointment came after a distinguished career at the Central Intelligence Agency, where ultimately he was the CIA's Deputy Director of the Counterterrorism Center. He also spent some time at the White House, where he was the Director of Gulf Affairs for the White House National Security Council. Philip Mudd worked for Robert Mueller when he was at the FBI, so he has a unique point of view. And if you've ever heard him on WTOP or maybe seen him on TV, you know he has a way with words. Very incisive, very descriptive, very direct. Our conversation with him was no different. The first question, what does what we know so far from the Mueller report say to you? Boy, aside from a huge sigh of relief, I think there's a, there's a few uh, takeaways we'd have, one of which we've lost sight of, which is that the, the evidence, not just intelligence, but the evidence that Robert Mueller turned over about the, the involvement of Russian-backed or Russian-linked intelligence officers um, in meddling in American election was pretty incontrovertible. I think we're talking a lot about the American side. Robert Mueller finally told us they did this, get over it. I also think that the question about uh, the difference between the question about proving something beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt, that is how did people on, on the American side act during the election and asking ourselves, what do we expect from American leaders and politicians during elections are different. If you separate this out from the sort of political furor, I think there should be some questions in Congress about, for example, should there be legislation saying 
that you cannot ex- that that you cannot meet with foreign officials anticipating they they will provide information about a uh, a candidate in an election. Maybe that's too too uh, too aggressive, but I think we've learned a lot about how American politics works. That's unpleasant, even if it's not illegal. And maybe we can take a step forward. The final thing I'd say we've learned is that we've got to wait to see on a big pillar of this case. That is how people accepted money like Michael Cohen in New York, we've got to wait to see what the Southern District says. We keep talking about the Mueller investigation, but in essence, what we really have here is the Department of Justice investigation, and Mueller is just a part of it. As you mentioned, this this investigation has been, been going on for a while. Uh, and the two key things that came out of it, um, based on what uh, I heard the, uh, the the Attorney General say, or actually what I read in his, his letter was that one, the uh, special counsel's office did not find any evidence that uh, anybody in the Trump campaign colluded with, with Russians or engaged with Russians uh, to essentially defraud the U.S. Um, and secondly, he didn't make a decision on obstruction of justice. So what does that say to you? I think the, the first is pretty straightforward. People, I, I worked for Robert Mueller for four and a half years as, as the deputy director of the National Security Program at the FBI and then as intelligence advisor. The first one, people are going to try to break it apart and say, let me see the underlying report. What did he really mean about no um, charges on collusion? I take him at his word. He was like the most honorable man I ever worked for, and I worked for a lot of honorable people. I don't think the Congress will... will uh, gain a lot of traction in looking at the question of collusion. The second point, and, and, and I'm going to play with words a little bit here. I do think on the question of obstruction that Mueller did make a decision. And that decision was, despite the facts that I see, I'm not certain, and I'm reading into what he said, I'm not certain that we have an understanding about how to pursue an obstruction case against the White House, and therefore I'm not going to make a decision. In essence, by saying, I think uh, I'm not coming down on one side or the other, he almost forces the Congress to take a look at this. And Mueller is a bright man. He knows Washington. He's been around for decades. He knew immediately. I'm sure he knew what would would happen when he issued that report which is that Congress would say, we have to look at this obstruction issue. So in essence, people are saying he punted. He did not punt. I think he looked at that and said, I could make it, I could make a choice, but the choice is better left to people who are after going to sort out the legal question of how you deal with the White House on a, on a question like obstruction. I, I do think he made a choice, and I think he was conscious all along about how this would play out. The Congress is going to pick this one up. And Philip, you have followed this, as I mentioned, from the very beginning, and, and, and you have seen how a lot of this this played out. And, you know, there's this question that a number of people I've spoken to when you talk about Carter Page going to Moscow and then to Budapest. You talk about the Manafort Kalimnik ties. You talk about Roger Stone's outreach, uh, Mike, Michael Flynn's contacts and visits to Moscow, the Trump Tower meeting, uh, the, the, the Trump Tower Moscow project. And Trump comments throughout the campaign regarding Putin and Russia and, you know, finding the emails, WikiLeaks, etc. You know, all of this seems to suggest that something is going on. Does that still resonate at this point, considering what Mr. Mueller and his investigation has found? Oh, for me, it absolutely does. I mean, the White House is going to portray this as a victory, a victory when you have your campaign manager, deputy campaign manager, 
personal lawyer, national security advisor, accused of and accepting charges of lying to federal officers, that's not a victory for America. I don't care what the White House says. On the question of Russia, I think you've got a couple issues beyond what Mueller is reporting. If you want to characterize this as a victory, people are going to start to say, why did we spend so much money investigating this? With the evidence that we've seen, I would say there is a perfectly legitimate and, and different attorneys general and uh, senators, Republican senators have confirmed this. There was a perfectly legitimate Department of Justice reason to look at these charges, regardless of whether Mueller came out and said there was evidence to to to, to go for indictment. I think there's a broader issue, though, and that is in America, we're told every man has a vote. Every every woman has a vote. Everybody has an opportunity to participate in politics. And then we have people who are saying it's appropriate potentially to accept information from a foreign adversary that might undermine your opponent in the election. I don't care whether the law was broken or not. I do think that Americans have to look in the mirror and say, this is not a good way to run a democracy. Whether you're accepting information from the French, the Russians, the Germans, the Italians, we get to vote on what we see and on what American candidates do and say. And I don't think it's appropriate for people to be accepting meetings from foreigners, hoping that they'll provide information to undermine a candidate. I, that's just not, that's not what we should teach a child. And I don't care whether the law was broken or not. That's not really the key message here. And thus, you're, you alluded to that in your earlier comment about Congress should deal with this, making this uh, uh, illegal to do. Um, and I can totally understand and see that. The problem that Congress is going to have is looking backward, there's going to be a lot of, I think, efforts from Republicans to to uh, to go after scalps. I mean, I could see that happening. I think Democrats are going to trench in and try to defend themselves and continue to go after the Trump team on ethical issues. I mean, in a real world, professionals would look at a couple of questions. How obviously do we, we protect ballot boxes and social media going into another election? And how do we discourage political parties from accepting opposition political research from overseas? Again, I don't care whether it's from the UK or Russia. I just think we shouldn't be even considering accepting opposition research from overseas. I think those are legitimate conversations to have in Congress, but I think they'll be overtaken by people who say, I don't like my guy across the aisle or the woman across the aisle, and I'm going to try to damage them. I I think we're going to lose sight of an opportunity to make America a cleaner political place. Yeah, that's clearly something that's going to come up and um, probably will get much more intense before it uh, subsides. Let me shift gears slightly to the intel piece of this. What message did the the Mueller finding, uh, the principal uh, conclusions that we've heard about, because as you mentioned, we still haven't seen the whole thing yet, this being March 26, 2019, and it's not clear when in the, or if we will, but what message did this send the intelligence message did this send to the Russians? Not much. If I were the Russians, I'd say, A, we succeeded, and B, the cost of success are relatively modest. If you look at uh, the, the sanctions against Russian individuals, modest. If you look at the American government's effort to isolate Vladimir Putin, we have a president, and I was there in Helsinki meeting Vladimir Putin saying, I take his word that he didn't interfere. So I, if I were the Russians, I'd say, hey, we got caught red-handed, and mom still said, don't worry. Uh, you get you get to go to the party tonight. I mean, what's the cost for the Russians? I think for the U.S. government, there's a couple of messages that, that we're going to struggle with. One is the White House should be in the leadership going into mid-2020 to say to the American people, this is how to protect yourselves. 
And the second is, instead of going after Silicon Valley, I think the Congress should be saying, we owe to American businesses a partnership where we say, maybe we can help you protect yourselves. Instead of telling you know, Twitter and Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, what did you do wrong and how do we slap you on the hands? I think we ought to say, you're the victims of an of a intelligence operation from overseas. You're an American company. Maybe we can help you. I do not understand why we're ostracizing Silicon Valley instead of trying to say, how do we help you? so that we can ensure this doesn't happen again. And moreover, how can we help you so that American business say, stays, um, stays sort of solvent and vibrant in a global community that values uh, protection from people like the Russian security services? I think we ought to support Silicon Valley and we're isolating them in the Congress. I don't buy it. That's a very interesting point you make about Silicon Valley. You know, I know a lot of people are distrustful of Silicon, some elements of Silicon Valley, shall we say, some of the big tech companies um, because of deceitful behavior. But um, as you say, you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Back to the Russian intelligence piece. So this is my question. With with the pressure seemingly off of the president now that there is no, no, no collusion, as he's been saying, found in this investigation, does that not mean that now there will be more scrutiny on Russia, what Russia did? Uh, and the likelihood that the president may join that chorus or symphony or whatever you want to call it of Americans uh, saying, look at what Russia did. We need to deal with that. Boy, I, I'm a little bit skeptical. I mean, I, I think in some ways we have a two part government that, that the president talks about his relationship with Putin. And then just just uh, in the past couple of days, we have the secretary of state going after the Russians on their involvement in, in, uh, in Venezuela. I, I I think, you know, at a personal level, the president has a difficulty saying maybe I made a mistake going into the 2020 election cycle. I think that it has critical consequences. If you want to get to the American people, especially with a president who has a Twitter following of tens of millions of people, the person Americans or the people Americans will listen to in terms of protecting themselves from bad information going to, into an election. That's not going to be the secretary of Homeland Security. It's not going to be the FBI director. My concern is that if we don't confront Russia head on, and the president obviously has been unwilling to do that, who is going to be the spokesperson to tell somebody in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Florida, be careful because the information you see when you're looking at stuff on Facebook may be fake. Mm -hmm. We've got to have not only somebody who confronts Russia, we've got to have a microphone to talk to the American people about protecting themselves. And I just can't see the White House doing that. Yeah, interesting. Now, what about the message to other countries that might want to do the same thing was this not a blueprint for them boy was was was, i suppose i i it it may be but if you look at the path the russians have taken isolating themselves from europe coming up with allies that include the venezuelans who are ostracized by a lot of people in the west Uh, china and russia are not among them but a lot of people in in uh, around the globe as have said maduro is no more no longer credible the Russians have allied themselves to Bashar al-Assad, who attacked his own people with chemical weapons. I suppose if you're looking at this from Iran or China, you could say this is a blueprint for how I can interfere. And I know the intelligence community has talked about the threat from places like China. But if you want to go down the Vladimir Putin path that says I've got to create a space for myself on the global stage and my partners on that stage are Venezuela and Syria, I'd say have at it. Have a good time. Good luck. That's like going to uh, a horse race with a donkey. I mean, I, good luck. It's not going to work. 
<laughs> interesting, interesting way I to apologize that. for that. <laughs> That's okay, but it's it's effective though. <laughs> it's very effective though. So, um, in other words, yeah, they did it, uh, and might as well call it what it was. They did it well, and they didn't spend a lot of yeah. money on it. There hasn't been any real negative anything. No, no, no punishment for it essentially. So, other countries might think about, yeah, I could do this, but then there are countries who would care, as you say. Uh, about their reputation in the world <laughs> and uh, taking that I think so and I I think so I guess I'm naive as someone who grew up with their mom my mom was a teacher reading to us there were five of us around the dinner table can you watch the debates and read read the news coverage incredible news on credible uh uh news feeds whether it's radio or tv or newspapers and make your own decisions instead of following stuff on Facebook or following some uh, some Twitter feed that's Russian affiliated. I mean, I have faith in the American population. I think they elected Donald Trump, not because of what something Russia did, but because and people on the East coast and West coast don't like this, but because they liked his message and they didn't like Hillary Clinton. So I, I just, yeah. I guess I have, faith, you know, the Russians can do what they, what they want, but I suppose I still have faith in the American people to say, I watched what they said on TV. I read about what they said. I have my own views about who's credible and who's not, and I'm not sure. In Russia, good luck. They can try to interfere, but I, I hope the American people are better than that. I think they are. Okay, and with, again, your intelligence hat on, um, what is the intelligence community saying to itself uh, as a result of this report right now? I don't think they're spending a lot of time looking at it. If you're in the intelligence community, you have a, you have a basic responsibility that is looking at places like Russia also China, Iran, and others about their interference in the American electoral process, ensuring through probably the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security that you have a relationship with state election boards and saying, how can we follow these guys, that is the Russians, closely enough and partner closely enough with places like Facebook and Twitter to, to advise the White House and the American people how to protect themselves the next time around. That sounds a little Pollyannish, like, you know, these guys just do the right thing. But I can tell you as an intelligence professional, watching an adversary monkey around with a democratic system, that's a pretty good motivator. If you're looking at this and you're, you know, a 30-year-old analyst at NSA or the CIA at the FBI, it's not hard to motivate yourself to say, screw them. I'm going to do my job regardless of what the attitudes are on politics in America, and I'm going to try to determine what they're doing so we can prevent them from doing it. This, if regardless of politics, this kind of activity by the Russians will tick off an American intelligence officer, and that's a pretty good motivator. Yeah, there's very much so. To the Russian presence in the U.S., a number of people, including some of your former colleagues I've spoken to, have said that there's been a significant rise in the number of Russian intelligence agents and people active in the U.S., uh, in the last few years, moving forward, um, what do you think about that presence in the U.S.? Is uh, does that presence need to be better monitored or policed, or is there anything that can be done about it? I mean, I, I suppose there is, but I mean, it's like saying, can you eliminate prostitution? I mean, it's, it's spying is a second oldest profession. You eliminate them, and they show up in another way. Um, I look at it and say, look, if you're an American citizen and you want to worry about let, let's just do cold, hard facts, an economy that is a Russian economy that's not great, a political leader that is Vladimir Putin, who's reviled around the world, except in places like Venezuela and Syria. If you look at a political structure in Russia that is half of a dictatorship, 
if you look at a military that is dwarfed by the American military, if you want to say we ought to step back and be afraid of the Russians because they have an expanded military presence in America, look, the FBI can work on that, the CIA, the NSA. They've been doing that since, you know, Moses was knee-high to a grasshopper. I look at what the Russian threat is, and I hope the Americans say, look, we have responsibilities in this country, how to make a kid healthier, how to educate a kid, how to stay competitive economically. If we want to worry about a third-rate military and economic power and pretend like they are on par with America, have at it, that's not something I would lose sleep over. Okay, a couple of more things to wrap it up. Um, You have had a lot of time over the last few years to take a very close look at many of the intelligence troubles and issues and concerns on the horizon for the U.S. So if we're not spending a whole lot of time focused on what Russia's doing and and what Russia's up to, what then would you say are the most important intelligence issues the U.S. should be looking at? I'm not saying that the intelligence guys shouldn't worry about Russia. I'm saying American citizens shouldn't sit back there and pretend like Russia is somehow the equivalent Mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union yeah. in 1965. I mean, I, I that, that. that's all I would say. I, I get in, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, intelligence challenges, I, I have a simple metric. And my metric is don't look, at, look through a backward lens because history changes. Try to determine what you think you should worry about. And what I would worry about is what affects an American family, a kid who's five or 10 or 15, that kid is going to be affected by drugs and opioids. That has to do with Latin America. That has to do with uh, domestic and synthetic drug uh, policy in this country. Uh, I think I think education is a national security challenge, not for the intelligence community, but for uh, people like the White House. Uh, the fact that we're not particularly competitive with uh, higher end countries around the world. I do think we have to figure out how to stop saying uh, we're going to move away from the war on terror to uh, countries like Russia and China. My comment would be, why can't we do both? Why can't we look at asymmetric threats like cartels and uh, terrorists and also say, how do we prepare for China advancing in the South China Sea? I don't see why it's one or the other. So I would do a combination of let's make sure we can handle a variety of threats. And also, instead of just looking at the world through, through sort of a World War II lens and saying, how many tanks do we have? National security to me is ensuring that we remain competitive. If we have kids who are not educated that well, and our educational system isn't very good in this country, I think that's a national security problem. And people never, they never talk about educating their kids. They'd rather talk about the Mueller report. You tell me what's more important to an American, whether your six-year-old gets an education or whether the Mueller report says yes or no on obstruction of justice. Give me a break. We should be talking about why kids are not educated in this country. And if you look at statistics, they're not. That's Philip Mudd, former deputy director of the CIA's Counterterrorism Center and former deputy director at the FBI's National Security Division. He was giving us his thoughts about what we know so far regarding the Robert Mueller report. There will be more to come for sure in the future, and we'll be sure to cover it. That's it for this edition of the program. As always, I deeply appreciate you joining us and allowing us into your life for this period of time, and hopefully you were able to get something from the program. Coming up in our next edition, a close look at terrorism, how it's changing, and how we need to pivot to fight it. 
I, I think it's almost impossible to deal with these very impulsive, very simple, but still very violent and tragic attacks. New Zealand's a perfectly good example. That's Doug Wise, former CIA clandestine service officer. He'll join us along with Tricia Bacon, who spent 10 years at the State Department as a counterterrorism analyst. And she's noted the difference between terror organizations. And that was one of the comparisons we would make between Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, that Al-Qaeda was a, was a much smaller organization, but a very high quality one. And the Islamic State was a much bigger tent, if you will, and maybe some of the quality of its fighters weren't as good. But what we're seeing now is when you bring it down to its harder core, those who are willing to stay and keep fighting or those who are willing to support the group, you do have the diehards, you do have a higher level of quality. So what does all of that mean as we enter into a new era of terrorism? coming up on our next edition of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. And there's one more thing. We've got a new national security email. It's a newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. It comes out once a week, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Podcast One Sportsnet is your home for the best coverage of the Final Four in this year's March Madness. Get all the play-by-plays and top-notch analysis from sportscasting gurus like Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. Then, put in your bets with betting expert R.J. Bell on R.J. Bell's Dream Preview and laugh out loud with the biggest name in the game, literally, on the big podcast with Shaq. Download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Podcast One Sportsnet. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.